Good morning, and welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. We're your hosts. I'm Erica. And I'm Abby. And today I'm going to tell you the story about Ralph Smith. So pour yourselves a strong cup of joe and let's dive in. continue on with our content for this week's episode shortly but first we wanted to take a moment to let you know about an opportunity to listen to even more crime over coffee content by signing up for our patreon you can receive ad-free episodes and additional content to check out this opportunity and sign up for the crime over coffee patreon visit www.patreon.com slash crime over coffee pod thank you again for all of your support on february 2nd 2000 a little after 10 30 p.m 24-year-old Rudy Stephanisis called the police in Pickerington, Ohio. He had reported that at his home there had been an invasion. At the time, he lived with his wife, Trisha, and their three children. On the phone call, he claimed that two black men with guns had basically forced their way into the home, breaking down the door, and demanded to be taken down to where they kept the safe, which was in the basement. He said that he forced them to open up the safe at gunpoint where they took approximately $10,000 in cash and some rare comic books as well and some jewelry and other random valuables. The two men then tied up the family with electrical tape. They cut the phone line and had taken the family's cell phones and took off. And what had happened, I guess, was Trisha was able to get free and let the others free and that's when they ran to a neighbor's to call police when police arrive at the scene they start talking to trisha and to rudy to kind of figure out what happened what they remembered of what the suspects looked like if they had any other details that could help them track them down what they had said is that the two men did have hats and masks on and the mask apparently concealed the lower part of their faces however one of them the mask kept falling down So they did get a look at his face. They also said that they couldn't really tell um, kind of their frame because they had big coats on. So they really weren't sure what kind of weight they would they were. But they did think that um, one was at least about six feet tall. And two other descriptions she gave was that the one that was supposedly six feet tall had a, quote, open face. And then the other suspect had, quote, buggier eyes not really sure what an open face is your guess is as good as mine (laughs) yeah i'm not sure what that would mean either unless it's just like everything on his face was just a little more spread out so like it was like a wide i don't know wide face maybe like maybe wide yeah or his mouth was just open the whole time (laughs) i think it was the grudge or the ring i can't remember which one when she killed the victims and their face was just like their mouth was wide open It was like that. So I did Google it, and an open face means having a frank or ingenuous expression. Not a lot of emotion happening. They they use it to explain lawyers. Oh. A lot. Interesting. Which makes sense. Like, I think lawyers kind kind of like maybe like a poker face almost. Right. I don't know. Like, you're not trying to show any emotion. You're just kind of 
And maybe if someone's, you know, involved with a robbery or attacking or something, I guess that could infer, uh, you know, type of personality or maybe they're on some type of drug or I guess you could use that to kind of draw some other conclusions or guesses, I guess, educated guesses. Investigators do attempt to create composite sketches, but again, they obviously don't have much to go on. She did also mention that on that same day that the two men attacked them and came into the house, she did see earlier in the day two black men that got out of a black geo tracker and had knocked on her door. And she basically was like, we don't have anything for you. Please leave. And they left. And they mentioned this car or a similar one during the 911 call as well. But please don't know if it's necessarily involved, but it does sound like that's something to explore. At this point, investigators are like, all right, well, if somebody knew where you kept your safe and that you had one, it's likely someone who knows you and knows that it was there. So can you guys, you know, give give me some names or tell us about who would have known this? And Rudy and Trisha give a list of people that did know about their safe. And it was during this that Rudy mentioned someone he knew named Dana, who kind of fit the suspect descriptions. And at some point, he even goes as far as to say, I'm sure he had something to do with it. And so the detective, whose name was Silvernail, he brought in Dana and... Dana, of course, is like, I I don't know anything about this. And the only thing that they kind of know about this was that Dana was a little nervous during the interview, which I I think anybody would be, regardless of guilt or not. That's a very anxiety-ridden situation to be in. Yeah, I mean, if somebody accused me of doing something, even if I had nothing to do with it, I'd probably be nervous. Not because I did something, but just because I'm like being accused of it and... So in some way, I already look slightly suspicious to the person interviewing me. Yeah, absolutely. A few days after all of this happened, a woman named Mary Office had told a friend that she suspected 24-year-old Ralph Blaine Smith as being someone who maybe have had something to do with the crime. This kind of was like a telephone game and it went to somebody who knew somebody who knew Rudy, the guy whose home was invaded, who then told a detective. They looked into Ralph Smith's record and he did have some accounts of burglary and larceny. So what the detective does is he creates kind of like a photo lineup that includes Ralph in it. And he takes it to Trisha and Rudy to look at and say, hey, who knew any of these guys matched the description or who you remember seeing? This occurs on February 10th. And so at this point, we are eight days after the crime. Something I kind of thought was funny that I want to note that the detective did is he used like little pieces of paper and put them on the photos to try to recreate masks so that Rudy and Trisha could like kind of get an idea of what they were seeing, which to me seems a little insane because you're covering half the person's face and the idea of like trying to identify somebody just by their eyes basically just seems a little troublesome. I think that's a little weird as well, but also reminds me of any superhero movie or like uh, that Cinderella story with Hilary Duff, like how they're always like, oh, you don't know who it is because you can only see their eyes. And so now they're like going back to like, let's refer or like, let's identify them by only looking at their eyes. It just seems a little, 
little weird to me. You can't take me there and I can't now not comment on that movie. That mask was like a white <laughs> lace see-through mask that only covered her eyes. And he's like, oh, I don't know who this is. Who could you be? And not even like Ugh. her whole eyes, just like around no. it. But now, yeah. Anyways, Listen. frustrating. Not the point. But Chad Michael Murray, in get it together. <laughs> in this instance, now they're like, I'm only going to show you their eyes. Please tell me that you recognize them. Like, I would have zero chance at that. It, it it just leaves some room for error. However, this happens. It happens, you know. And Rudy and Trisha and their six-year-old daughter both identify Ralph as one of the people that were there that night. And they say, we're pretty sure it's him. We do want to see him in person because we want to be sure. So five days later, they bring Mary in because they had been identifying Ralph through word of mouth that got to Rudy. And some investigators were like, well, we need to talk to Mary office. Basically, what she says is, listen, I don't know that he did this. I don't really have any evidence, but I think I heard him talking about a robbery and these sort of crimes are, quote, just what he does. Detectives are like, all right, well, we obviously at this point do need to talk to Ralph Smith. His name's come up. They've identified him from photos and they bring him in. Ralph is like, look, I know I've met um, Larry, which was Rudy's brother, who was one of those chains that got Ralph back to Rudy. He's like, and Rudy's, and Ralph is like, I knew Larry, but I don't know Rudy or Trisha at all. I was not involved with this. And when asked about Mary, he's like, oh, well, we dated, but we ended it relatively recently on good terms, though. And... Detectives say, you've been picked out of a lineup. And Ralph is like, um, can like I see them in person, basically, so they can be like, hey, no, that wasn't him. And so at this point, Ralph is saying, I have nothing to do with it. So as far as to say, let them look at me like I had nothing to do with it. Let's clear this up. Rudy and Trisha in a photo lineup have identified Ralph Smith. And the police interview Ralph on March 13th. On March 17th, Rudy and Trisha are testifying before a grand jury, and the evidence they have so far is laid out, and the grand jury at this point indicts Ralph Smith, charging him with two counts of aggravated burglary, three counts of aggravated robbery, two counts of kidnapping, and one count of theft. Following this, Rudy and Trisha again say, I want to identify Smith in person. The detective gives them a f- another photograph and it has his name on it. And and then Rudy and Trisha look at it and they're like, okay, yeah, we do think it was him. Ralph ends up going on trial on August 8th, 2000 for these crimes. Basically, what the prosecution's saying is, hey, there's these two people who are identifying Smith from a photo lineup. This is our guy. Even though there's no physical or forensic evidence that ties Smith to the crime. None of the items that were ever reported stolen were recovered. And they identify him in court as being one of the men. And at this point, Ralph Smith is charged with all of the counts, except the one that included the firearms. And they impose the maximum consecutive sentences on him, which equals a total term of 61 years. As I mentioned earlier, this whole time, Ralph Smith is like, I did not do this. I had no involvement in it. I 
will continue to say I'm innocent because I was not one of these people. And he starts, you know, running through his appeals. And eventually after, so this crime occurred in 2000, once we get to 2020 is really when we start to make some way with this. So he had filed four unsuccessful motions for relief in state courts and two unsuccessful petitions for rights of habeas corpus in the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of Ohio. And finally, on May 5th, 2020, he files a pro se motion for a new trial, saying that prosecutors did not disclose numerous pieces of evidence that would have kind of went against the testimony of Rudy and Trisha, basically. And so I'm going to run through a few things that were pretty problematic. Yeah, so far, it doesn't seem like they went about this correctly. And I mean, like, about sentencing him correctly. I don't feel like they did it by the book, necessarily. I feel like they kind of just were, once again, looking for somebody just to put away. And Ralph was there. And so they're like, we're going to go with Ralph. So I'm curious to see where this goes. It's also unfortunate that it's been... 20 years of mm-hmm. getting to a point where anything's happening that could potentially clear his name. Even before what I'm about to get into with you guys, let's just think about it. He was convicted on them picking him out from a photo, basically, and supposedly the people were basically masked the whole time the crime happened. You know, right there, that yeah. sounds like reasonable doubt in my head, but that's just not what occurred. Absolutely. And unless he was the guy that she, because she said one of the guy's masks kept falling down. So they probably got a clearer face, like, or a clearer idea of what that man's face looked like. But it doesn't sound like that's who they're thinking Ralph was. They're thinking Ralph was one of the other guys where they only saw the eyes. Mm-hmm. Once again, I don't like it. <laughs> right. Prior to the original trial, the defense attorneys for Ralph had actually filed a motion with the state basically asking for, you know, what documents they have and evidence because you're supposed to disclose the kind of evidence that they could use. That's how a fair trial works. Right. Right. We know this. One of the first things that they did not disclose was that there was any type of alternate suspects, which, as I mentioned earlier, they had talked with that person named Dana. I don't know Dana's last or first name. I don't know which part is Dana. But initially, Rudy was like, I'm pretty sure this was the person and he had to be involved or at least one of them. And although they didn't really charge him with anything or concur that he was involved at all that was still an alternate suspect that should have been made aware that should have been made known to the defense absolutely this is i mean once again we've talked about it it frustrates me beyond a reasonable doubt Mm -hmm. right that is that is what this is based off of that is what our our legal system is supposed to be and it's so many times it's not and we get these cases where there is reasonable doubt and the jury didn't even have the chance to determine then if there was like they didn't even have the chance to like weigh this Dana guy into the equation because it just wasn't presented to them. And it's incredibly frustrating to see that because I have a feeling I know where this is going to go. And I'm already, I'm just already angry about it. Also, among the documents not provided to the defense was the original police report when they went to the house. I'm not sure how that happened, but they did not see what? it. Yeah, I don't know. And that, which I'll get into a tiny bit, but like defense did not do their job either. (laughs) And this is one of those instances. Now, the police report 
is interesting for more than one reason. When you read through it, the officers are talking about arriving at the scene. Um, They're looking around, kind of assessing it, and it had just snowed. There were no prints or, like, tire tracks right around the front door or anywhere around the house. Um, okay. I'm slowly processing the information that you're, like, giving to me. Yeah. And Okay. Well, and as I mentioned, they said someone kind of, like, busted through the door, basically. Like, they forced in. The front door was ajar, and it says, with slight damage to the door jam, and slight is underlined twice. They said when they went in, the house seemed a little unkept, but did not appear ransacked at all. Said they went around, and the house was cleared and secured without anything notable being observed. And they went down to look at the safe, And said that it was open and inside it were some camcorder tapes and an empty box. And the officer at the end of this makes a little note and I'm just going to read it. It says, quote, the house was gone through two with an underline under it selectively for my taste. The in quotation subject and then subjects parentheses. Forcing entry into the house would have to have been familiar with the victims as well as the contents and the location of this house. Yeah, the fact that the house hadn't at all been ransacked definitely tells you that whoever went in there knew exactly what they were looking for and they went straight for that money and the comic books and everything that they were looking for. Right. When police arrived, there was a dog barking a lot next door when they right when they pulled up and they'd actually went and talked to the neighbors around. And they said they hadn't heard any dogs barking in the past hour or so. So that was also kind of odd because you would think if that kind of distress was happening, the dogs would have been reacting, especially when they started barking just as the officers pulled up. Oh, OK. OK, I get it. So the dogs weren't barking prior to the officers arriving is what you're saying. Got Correct. it. OK, I was like, are, I thought you were saying something different. Never mind. Additionally, police kind of indicate that they believe the victims, Eridi and Trisha, were telling a story rather than recounting a crime. That was kind of the impression they got. Oh, so maybe Rudy and Trisha were lying? Correct. There's a thought that this crime never even actually occurred. I didn't think about it until just now, but that would, I mean, insurance claim is what they're going for here. Is that kind of what the thought process is? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you said the dog thing earlier, I thought you were meaning that the police were saying there were dogs barking, but the neighbors were saying the dogs weren't barking and that it was like the information was different for both of them. I thought that's what you were saying. That's why I like clarified that I was like, oh, the dogs weren't barking until the police arrived. I got it. But at first I was like, why are the police lying about Mm -hmm. the dogs barking? (laughs) Got it. Additionally, they find in documents that, and they called a question that Rudy actually had had doubts about whether or not it was Ralph Smith after he had given his selection. Basically, he went back and said, well, he was the one from the photo lineup. He said, Ralph was the one who looked most like the person. How many times do I say beyond a reasonable (laughs) doubt? I don't, I don't know how to stress that anymore. Like, imagine getting picked up because you kind of look like somebody the most out of, like, five other people. Like... And for Rudy and Trisha to pick this man out, like, cool, you're, quote unquote, I'm going to, I'm going to use quotes now for crime, happened, and you maybe have an idea of who did it, but if you aren't for sure, you're giving yourself closure at the expense of somebody else's life, and you're just okay with that, like, that makes me feel like you're not a great person and maybe they didn't do it on purpose 
Uh This seems a little suspicious, though, almost like you said, maybe the crime didn't even happen in the first place or maybe they were just trying to put somebody away in jail. But like, I just feel like in these situations, you should be certain. And if you're not certain, then discuss that. Like, I'm not I'm not for sure. Mm -hmm. Maybe this guy. But if you can't find any evidence to support that it was him, then probably not him. Or I could be wrong in what I'm recounting about this crime. Well, let me go off of that because they did in their interview say they weren't sure. Another instance of this is Trisha saying initially she wasn't sure and had a hard time remembering details because it was dark in the basement. But the state didn't disclose that to the defense. The prosecution didn't. Did they disclose anything? Apparently not. Okay, cool. I love that that's just how we do trials now. Right. Well, and this is just such a big part of people coming back for on Ralph's behalf like he did not have a fair trial at all look at all this evidence that wasn't disclosed and they also had pulled up evidence of Mary office kind of saying well you know she might have misled the detectives when she said Smith was involved and that she basically said she kind of lied and said that she was angry and jealous because Ralph had moved on with someone else So this whole thing that gets spun really with Mary office starting it is now being pulled into question. And like, one, did the crime happen? Two, was Ralph involved? Okay, so now we have all this evidence coming up that Ralph might not have been involved and that a crime maybe didn't even occur. Erica, what do you think so far? I lean towards the crime probably not happening. But I very much lean towards the fact that Ralph was not involved. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know how you can hear all this and think that he was. And not to mention, he has denied his involvement with this since the very, very beginning. They brought forth the prior prosecutor who was involved with this case during an evidentiary hearing in 2020 to kind of ask him and say like why wasn't this evidence disclosed and he basically said that he didn't believe that any of it was exculpatory evidence and that if it was he would have turned it over basically saying that he didn't think it would create reasonable doubt about the defendant's guilt or not guilt and he also says before (laughs) i've seen erica one more thing that's gonna annoy you he says he didn't turn over the police report because he thought the report was infused with racial animus and kind of like, well, they identify, they, his comment was that Rudy was black and somehow it was racist or something within the police report. And that's why he didn't disclose it. Was he new or was he incompetent? Like, <laughs> uh, what? Incompetent for sure. I think he just didn't give a shit. Like, it sounds like to me, he just then didn't he's care. In the wrong career. He was just kind of going through the motions. Uh-huh. Then he needs to find something else to do where... The lives of individuals are not in his hands. Like, he should not be defending anybody. Later on to um, Silver Nail, who was the one who was like, hey, like, look at these photos and pick them out. I'm going to put little pieces of photo or pictures or whatever over top of their mouth for you to identify. He literally, like, later says that was an error in judgment. So we do have these people coming back, like, basically saying yeah i probably shouldn't have done that at least somebody is willing to admit that they maybe made a mistake in this because there's a lot of mistakes that you've just mentioned and i i I guess i'm glad that somebody is like yeah maybe this was wrong in june of 2021 ralph smith was granted a new trial it was ruled that they did not turn over all evidence that was favorable to the defense 
even after receiving notification that they needed to do so. Judge Richard E. Barons, who's the one kind of overseeing all of this, he states that, quote, had the materials at issue been properly disclosed, the defense strategy may have taken an entirely different shape. In the court's view, this different shape had the potential to severely weaken the state's case against Smith, given the paucity and inculpatory evidence presented, end quote. It's at this point that Ralph is actually freed on bond on July 2nd, 2021 at 49 years old. He's released from prison on bond and he's living with his family and wearing an ankle monitor and checking in with probation officers and having random drug tests while they kind of figure out what they're going to do next. It's a little bit later on that they decide to dismiss all of the charges. Yes, I agree. They do this, quote, without prejudice, end quote, which means that they could file them again in the future. However, they said it's very unlikely considering, one, how it all turned out. They don't think there's any evidence really against him. And two, the fact that it's already been 20 years that he has been in prison and that, you know, if they even tried to take him back to trial and say he gets charged with some of them like time served it might not matter anyway were they ever able to determine if the crime actually happened i don't think they've gone that far i'm not sure really where rudy and trisha stand in this and if they're gonna be investigated more or if they're even still around my interpretation was that they just didn't even look into it they kind of were like we figured out that ralph was not involved and we've freed this likely innocent man and that's as far as this guy and in terms of the actual crime a few things post-release that i want to know um ralph smith while he was in prison actually did a lot of studying reading law books and trying to kind of figure out what he could do to help himself get out of prison as i mentioned he appealed often and he got the right entities involved and a lot of people state that he was a big reason for this momentum happening because of his research he did while in prison. I watched some interviews with Ralph Smith, who genuinely seems like a sweet, caring guy who just got a really bad deal at the hands of people not doing a proper job. I do just a couple things about him, a couple quotes I'm going to go through, and then some more happy news later on. One of the things that Smith had said in an interview when he got released was that he wanted to just, you know, be grateful wherever you're at in life and to not sweat small things anymore. He's basically, I'm happy that I am out living my life now and can finally experience it. He was happy that his mom was still alive when he was released, saying she'd been with him the whole way and that he was just so happy that she was able to see, like, him get to live his life and not be in prison for a crime he didn't commit. He also won a $1.3 million settlement from the state of Ohio and is pursuing a federal lawsuit against the Pickerington police detective who had investigated his case. And I'm pretty sure that is still in the makings. Additionally, they're looking at what his defense attorney at the time as well. So hopefully some more can come of that and he can get some more justice for the 20 plus years he served in prison for a crime he did not commit. Thanks to listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. 
You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepot at outlook.com. All of our sources can be found in the show notes for each episode. If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. You can also support us by recommending us to friends and family, giving us a good review on Apple Podcasts, or subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.